Join Ian Garvey as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape your future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. Welcome to the Garlic Market Show. I'm Garlic, and today we're going to talk with one of my great friends who's a brilliant marketer, a fiction author, screenplay writer, a DJ. I mean, I don't know what you haven't done. Mr. Tal Klein, thank you for being on the show. I think I'm also, do I hold the record for most chicken fingers eaten at, a, at an Irish pub? I don't know. I think you might. Uh, that's a story for another time. But of course, it's brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best ways to, you know, to measure and improve customer experience is through Video Case Stories. Go to VideoCaseStory.com. All right, Mr. Talcline, uh, we're going to talk about marketing aligning with sales. I mean, this yes. is such a big topic because, and I want to get into your history because it's, the bigger you get, the further away they get. Don't they? Yeah, for sure. It's always, you know, we were doing that in the pre-interview. We were talking about how uh, marketing is often seen as this sort of red herring when it comes to spend. Like, do we really need to spend money on marketing? Like, what are we getting out of marketing? Pariah of sorts. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, oh, well, we got to hire. We got to go spend some money on marketing, you know. And and then it goes in this black box, and then like everybody's always upset. Like, why are we spending all this money on marketing? And it's because also marketing is really complicated. And I don't mean that because like aggrandize myself, but if you think of marketing as a sort of Venn diagram of say brand awareness, uh, lead generation, and sales enablement, let's say. Those are three very distinct and different, you know, buckets. And we in the marketing world, because they're so unique, we spent, we've built a lot of insider baseball KPIs, mean things to us. I think I was picking on share of voice when, when we talked earlier, because like share of voice is like, oh, you talk to any marketer, like, of course, I know what share of voice is, right? Like, I understand that. You talk to anybody outside of marketing and they're like, is that just one of those BS marketing terms you use to justify your existence? And the answer is yes. But also like, more importantly, well, it's the same thing. It's like, okay, we've got this many followers on Twitter. Well, how many of them are your customers? It's like, how many of them are your target persona? You know, like, yeah. there's just like so many of these weird, like, so to us, there's like a website visitors. What the hell does website visitors mean, right? Like, this is, it's not a meaningful, like, these are not meaningful metrics. And so when you as a marketer present those metrics in a board meeting or even in casual discussion, you know, in the around the virtual water cooler, if you will, people are just looking at you and they're like, okay, this guy's full of it, right? I mean, you know, not... Because it's they're, they're, they don't mean anything to anybody because you talk to a salesperson and you say like, oh, well, I remember having this conversation and like seeing like, why are they not excited? You know, I grew our website visits by 3x, you know, over the last year, uh, our social following increased by 10x, uh, our share of voice, we, we now we are now second place in our share of voice and at the time it was cloud access security brokers or whatever it was. And I was like really excited about this. I was like, we grew, we went from like being paged. 10 on Google to being, you know, the second search uh, result on the first page. I'm all excited about this. And I remember like my Sierra looking at me and saying, so how does this translate to sales? <laughs> <laughs> that's, and that's always the question, right? You know, these are I'm like, super proud of all my KPI. We got verified on Twitter. Congratulations. You know, it's like. <laughs> <laughs> People are excited about that. I, know, I, I get excited. Marketers get excited about these things. They're, we have a wonderful, the fact we've got a very rich uh, and contentful podcast that's so, you know, lasted so much, so many years means there's lots of stuff for us marketers to talk about. It's just that I'm not sure anybody else cares. It's true. It, you know, it's funny because 
I go and I forget because I get, you know, I'm in the marketing silo and I'm like, oh, you know, this and this and talk about SEO and I talk about, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk. Right. And, and <laughs> you, if you leave even like one degree out, people are like, what are you talking about? They're like, is that the guy who owns the Jets? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Not yet. I took a stand-up comedy class and I did some jokes about like marketing that I thought were like these universal topics. If you're, It was just like... I'm like, I'm sure if I was doing like, you know, one of my speaking gigs, it would have gone gotten off, you know, if it was a marketing crowd, but anyone else outside of it doesn't get it. And they think of marketing as a ripoff, don't they? Right. <laughs> no, it's true. It's like, oh, I can't tell you how many times, like, it's actually a really good, I'm at a point in my career where like, when I talk to like investors or, or you know, or founders and, you know, they want me to even come on as advisor or whatever, the first thing I do is gauge what their appreciation of marketing is like, because I no longer have patience or the fortitude to like, to explain marketing to somebody who already has formed an opinion, you know, against it. What I can do is in an organization that is aware they have a problem with some facet of marketing. Usually I'm brought in as a messaging guy, you know, because, and the reason I think that's, that is a problem that people really relate to is because they already assume lead generation is doomed. So, you know, they'll say the problem we have is messaging. We don't know how to speak to our customers in a way that creates urgency. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the question I ask immediately after that is like, do you know who your customers are? Because one of the biggest fallacies, right, in sales is that we know who our customers are. And one of the big things that sales, the marketing brings to the table is that perspective. Before you even get, you say like, well, I'd like to have this magic phrase that turns every prospect in, into a customer, right? Um, and they think that's the problem that marketing solves, but maybe we do. But first of all, I would say 90% of the time, your perception of who your prospect is, is wrong. It's not your actual buying persona. It's who you'd like your buying persona to be, right? That's, yeah, that's a very good point. You know, and I definitely see that. I really want these people to buy from me, but let's look at who actually purchased from you. Well, and sometimes, uh, you know, I've been around long enough to actually like, you know, kowtow to that demand and say, okay, let me come up with a killer phrase for those people or whatever. And we do it. And then, you know, that person's like, oh yeah, yeah, I, that's really interesting, but I don't, I don't have budget for that. Uh, you know, it's not really, or like, that's not really my problem. You know, like it, it's it, like, for example, in the security world, you know, everybody, one of the reasons I, I left the security world is because whenever there's like a breach or a vulnerability or a hack, like basically every security company goes out there, like some version of the story that like, oh, if only you had us, this wouldn't have affected you. Right. And it's like some hash of that thing. But like the person who is ultimately going to buy a security solution does not want to hear that. That doesn't resonate with them. Like that, that might resonate with the CEO who's like, who may go then to the CISO, to the chief security officer and say like, oh, why don't we have this thing? If we had this thing, we wouldn't have gotten hacked. And then the CISO immediately gets like this vein, throbbing vein in their forehead. Because basically CEO is saying, why aren't you doing your job? Yeah. Do you want to be the brand that makes the CEO, uh, that makes the CISO upset because the CEO is, is questioning their keep their ability that's such a good point yeah so like a lot of this so much of this like rephrasing like really fundamentally understanding like okay first of all who is your actual who's your buying persona instead of making that assumption go and spend time doing that because that has value to everybody a popular one probably in your world is people saying that they want to sell to a c-level audience yeah right? c-levels don't really buy anything like i don't buy anything i've got people who buy stuff like i you know my i was Sure, I was consulted when we use uh, uh, Salesforce Pardot for marketing automation, let's say, okay? Everybody was trying to, like, I was getting, when I started, people were like, I was getting Acton and, and Oracle with Marketo, and like, everybody's trying to market, trying to market to me. Nobody's calling on my marketing ops person who's actually making the decision. Interesting, yeah, because I, that's a good point. Because you're marketing to, 
And everyone thinks, you know, I've been there too. It's like you market top down. Right. right. And yeah, but the problem is you're pissing off the person because because if I forward your email to my marketing ops person, that's going to they're going to feel like you're trying to circumvent them or you're, you're trying to uh, pollute the water. You know, so you might for a little while, HubSpot was doing some good content stuff like where they weren't trying to engage like C-levels with with marketing oriented stuff. They're like it was a whole bunch of did you knows and top fives and stuff like that, you know, and that was work like basically clickbait just to get you just to keep it's like the Costanza effect to keep the hubs to keep HubSpot in the back of your head. Like, hey, what you know, what about that HubSpot? I forgot about that. I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> now I've got to go watch that one. If you guys don't know what the Costanza effect is, I highly recommend looking up the Seinfeld episode. Yeah, we'll put a link definitely to that YouTube video. Uh, Stanza, yeah. So, but, but yeah, so, so the whole persona thing and like really fundamentally understanding who your customer is. And that's the first level of partnering with sales. So first level is inst- sales will go and say, oh, you're marketing, you know, give me this magic phrase or, or you know, tell me what, build me a pitch deck for this audience. And actually partnering with sales to understand the deal flow, analyzing opportunities that are closed one and seeing okay what you know who are the people who are actually involved in the end not in the beginning you know who's the person who actually uh who's the day-to-day user of this thing you know and how are they an influencer were they a decision maker and the reality is that your buying persona is actually more than likely in in scenarios where you're dealing with enterprises especially is it's a winning team it's not a single persona and so the marketing strategy has to account you know account for the winning team and that feeds the sales strategy right you're often not playing chess against a single player you're actually playing football against another team you know so so it's like it really process of reverse engineering, you know, what does the winning team look like? Who's the influencer? Who's the decision maker? Uh, who owns the budget? You know, all that kind of stuff is, is a marketing exercise. But just doing that exercise creates trust between marketing and sales. It shows sales that you're willing, you want to go in and you want to understand the business, right? Yep. The other interesting uh, thing that I like to do is before I even get into like lead general messaging is reverse engineer the sales funnel. So a lot of times opportunities get stuck in specific stages and you know people always say well sales enablement it's sales enablement's job to fix that right there's this you know there's this whole world of sales enablement and it's their job to fix it but a lot of times marketing can help a lot uh, um, by identifying okay things get stuck at stage four you may say well that's because the po you know we have a poc and it requires whatever somebody to get involved and we've got to get all these people on the phone and we need to get uh, uh permission to do this and that, that and the other thing what marketing could do is say like well, here are examples of places in the market have already done that that may already overcome the objections that you're getting at that stage. Like, um, what's a good one? Um, a lot of times uh, when I saw companies that are trying to break into uh, like CRM enhancement, like we make Salesforce better through blank, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of times what ends up happening is they don't take into consideration the necessity of uh, of partnering with Salesforce. Like, you know, like, so we built this thing and, and, and part of it, the, there's, this, there's this like fear that if they let Salesforce know about it, Salesforce might just create it and make them make them redundant. But, you know, it, that also happens a lot in the Microsoft ecosystem, by the way. Like people are like, oh, I have this new piece of software, but if I tell Microsoft about it, they might just make it and put and commoditize, you know, commoditize my my invention. And but that ends up hurting your your Salesforce's ability to your your sales team's ability to sell to sell because if you're selling into that ecosystem and you're not known to uh, the primary player in that ecosystem, then it, it raises a whole bunch of question marks, uh, and you may actually be getting rejected by an invisible decision maker. 
because there's somebody in ops that says, well, you know, they're not in the app exchange or they're not in this or they're not that. And then they're, um, you know, you're not even, you're not even aware that you've been canceled, you know, because the person, because that person is so deep in the organization and they're looking for a checkbox. You were talking about compliance earlier in the pre-interview, like, oh, Think about like, so we know about compliance problems that our customers tell us about, but it's even harder to know about compliance problems that our customers don't tell us about, right? And and a lot of the work marketing has to do is anticipate those objections and uh, pre prepare sales uh, for those objections in a way that they resonate through the organization without the necessity of speaking to everybody in that organization. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a difficult thing, but it, it, it's a smart thing. Cause you don't think about that. We all imagine, you know, and if you're good at, and I say it too, it's like, Hey, when you're selling to one, and a lot of B2B is selling to one, but when you're selling to a large organization, you don't think about the entire team, right? You're, yeah. you're, you're getting into one person and you don't think about that entire team's objections. Like, Hey, I don't like this one thing, or this one thing sends out alarms and uh, that's smart. So how do you, what kind of exercise can marketing do to help sales figure out those objections. So a lot of it has just has to do with spending the time uh, looking through the sales uh, pipeline and under, and specifically both closed one and closed lost analysis. Um, and seeing like we lost this deal and having, it really requires like, because a lot of times when a deal's closed lost, you know, a sales rep is so over it that they're not gonna populate uh, yeah. the, the, the details as to why the why the deal was lost. And that's actually incredible. That's probably the most, one of some of the most valuable data that you could feed back into the organization. You know, but I can't tell you how many how many places I've gone into where closed lost was just arbitrary. Like it'll just be like a single word, like competitor or uh, yeah. no interest or something like that. And like, dude, you didn't just complete like a ninety to whatever one hundred and twenty day sales cycle to say like, okay, not interested. You know, there, there's yeah. there's detail there. Um, and if you go deeper, yeah. if you do the research, you could start to see. You know, sometimes it even requires like you know reading through the email threads. And seeing like, hey, you know, this person from compliance kept asking for this thing and we kept telling them not to worry about it. Like, hey, are you guys, do you guys have SOC 2 certification or something like that? Like, yeah, you know, sure. We, yeah, we do. Uh, you know, and they'll ask it again. Like, well, can we see the SOC 2 certification? Like, yeah, yeah, we'll send it to you. But it never gets like, so like this one piece of paper never got sent, but people kept asking about it or people kept asking about this one, you know, you guys HIPAA compliant or you guys, you know, have high trust certification or like something like that. It gets asked a lot and the salesperson's like, yeah, yeah, we got that. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. But by not, if you're seeing like, if you're seeing those requests come a lot, you see a lot of hand waving, right? That's an opportunity for marketing to preempt the, the problem by, say, putting we're SOC 2 certified on the website or or even in the signature. If it's that important, if it's that important and you guys are using standardized signatures, be like, you know, you know, uh, uh, we're we high trust certified or whatever. You know what I mean? Like something like that and turn what you think about as arbitrary stuff that you don't need to that's you don't need to worry about because it doesn't impact the business buyer, uh, but it, it could end up, end up actually being a roadblock to you within the organization. And so there's a way to preempt it using marketing without having to train the salesperson on what HIPAA compliance actually means or what SOC 2 actually entails. You could yeah. sort of, um, you, you, you satisfy the objector um, who is an invisible member of the, of the, of the winning team because you never get access to them. I mean, it's such a good point because this is where, you know, when we think like we had PandaDoc on, we were talking about proposals and video and proposals. And I'm like, yes, your video should be for that first person you're selling it to, but you should, you could, that's an opportunity for you to put stuff that speaks to someone else on the team that you're never going to be able to talk to. I just had this discussion actually with uh, our graphic or creative designer. 
And I said, whenever you build a PowerPoint, you actually build two versions of it. One is the one that you present, and that one I will charge you $50 per word on, a sli on each slide. It should have no words on it. And then you should have the leave behind version of that, which should have too many words on it. Oh, I love that. I'm, I'm taking notes there on that. Yeah. <laughs> which is, you have, because you, you want you want it to be the same slide deck because you want the person to remember seeing it. But they're not going to be able to, they're, they're, they're not honed in the ability to present that slide without the words. That's your, you are the subject matter expert. So you want to have those slides in that order, but you want to populate them with content uh, that allows them to then say, hey, I saw this great presentation. And then you don't have to be there to 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 defend it or if you're sending a video have have the transcription be there because a lot of people just will just read the transcription um lately frankly i've been going back so zoom has this transcription functionality i've been going back and re-watching my meetings because I'll, I'll occasionally have like a nugget of wisdom and i don't want to have to like watch the whole thing i'm like okay where you know you know where's this thing that i said in like around 15 minutes but i don't know exactly when it was and i could search for it you know um so but even even stuff like that, having a fundamental understanding that like your presentation has to be kick-ass and fluid and and all about you, like you can't you know you can't have it have tons of words in it because people are going to pay attention to the words and not you, like basic slideology. But that the first thing that person, if you do a good job, the first thing that person is going to ask you for is to have a copy of that. And and so you, it's important to have a second version of that slide deck that has all the words in it. That's such, I mean, that's genius. It's simple, right? It's simple. There's so many simple little moves like watching the tapes. I wonder how many people watch the tapes, but it, I mean, if you're, if any, any sport, right, that's their big thing is they watch the tapes and then here we are with, now we have all the tapes and we're not watching them. Yeah. And I, I, yeah. And the transcriptions help a lot. Oh like, God. They help so much. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a life changer for me. I mean, it's really, it, it allows me to iterate on messaging at such a faster pace uh, because it's so much, so much. I, I don't really listen to my stuff when I speak. So when I say something that I'm like, oh, I said something really smart to Ian. I, I wish I could like remember what it was. And uh, and so the ability to go back and, and review that is really valuable. Um, but, you know, at the highest level, the way to partner with sales, uh, once you've built, because I think you, can, you have to build, you have to do some of this stuff to build trust, especially if you don't know this, if you don't already have a relationship, a personal relationship with the CRO. Um, once you've built that trust, the key is to actually work backwards uh, and start with uh, start with the number your your company's trying to reach. This is the this is the this is the killer model. I'm telling you, like this is the thing that I'm writing a book about. Like, so start. Every company will say, "Well, our number for this year is blank." Right? They, they're going to have a number, and let's say that number is ten million dollars, or a hundred million dollars, or a billion dollars. Doesn't matter. I'm using ten because it's going to be easy to do math later. Um, so, so the number is ten million dollars, and you know that your average uh, contract value, your ACV, uh, is a million dollars. So you need ten deals this year, right, to get to uh, ten million dollars. Then you look at your opportunity conversion ratio. So let's say it's uh, ten to one. So I need, I know that from stage one to closed one, um, one out of ten deals will actually close. So. I need, uh, so now I need uh, uh, 10 times, I need, 100, I need 100 opportunities to create uh, 10 deals to reach my number, right? So um, now sales knows how many opportunities they need. Now that's important because if you take a Kanban style approach to sales, you then, now you start to get into the how many salespeople you need, right? Because you can say, okay, a salesperson can handle, you know, in our industry, you know, uh, let's say I get uh, a salesperson can handle whatever, five opportunities per quarter, uh, or maybe that, you know, a salesperson plus an SE or an SE per, you know, you start to build, you start to build a sales org chart around that, you know, those at bats, 
right? Now we move over to the marketing side and you look at the sales qualified lead to opportunity conversion ratio, right? Uh, and I like to, I generally like to have that pretty pretty high. So let's say it's, it's uh, 50%. Um, so let's say that sales qualified lead to, to opportunity is 50%. So now I need 200 sales qualified leads to get 100 opportunities <laughs> to get 10 deals uh, at a million dollars each to equal 10, uh, $10 million, which is my number, right? You go further back. Now you look at your marketing qualified leads. So the marketing qualified lead to uh, sales qualified lead is, let's say, 25%. It's less, you know, I'm going to be less aggressive there. <laughs> yeah. And so now you need four times 200. So you need 800 sales qualified leads to get 200 marketing qualified leads to get 200 sales qualified leads and so on and so forth. Eventually you get to the raw leads or whatever whatever the low, whatever the, the smallest fraction of, of lead is. And you say, okay, now if I ignore the rest of my, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, okay, my, you divide that number, the number of raw leads, you take that, you divide the, uh, your total number. Let's say that you're, this is in a hypothetical world where you expect hundred percent of your revenue to come to be marketing sourced. So let's say we now know that I need to get, I'm going to make up a number. So I need a, a you know, whatever, a, a thousand raw leads in order to get to $10 million number. I divide, you know, $10 million. I mean, I divide a, a million dollars by a thousand and that's my customer acquisition cost. That's my appetite to get to one. If my appetite is to have to break even for the year on customer acquisition cost, if it's one-to-one, -one, now I know what my cost per lead is. Now, when we calculate cost per lead, you start to, that's when you get to attach all of your other stuff. Instead of saying, well, I'm not going to include, when I look at cost per lead, I'm only going to look at lead generation activities. What I do is I actually bundle all the cost of marketing into that cost per lead. So the cost of brand awareness, the cost of product marketing, headcount, agencies. I bundle all of that and I say, look, at the end of the day, we have to be humble in marketing and believe that the only KPI that the rest of the organization will care about will be this cost per lead thing. Because if I'm able to, because I, I can now draw a direct path from that lead into the revenue organizations counting on. And if I hypothesis, it, it makes complete sense, you know, and then you, you worry about, then you worry about like fixing each, improving each of those metrics, right. right, along yours, but you still want to think cost per lead and you just want to improve the metrics. Now, when you, one, now let's, now you start back at like, yep. you know, the SQL, the sales qualified yep. lead to sale. What, you know, where do you start now to look, are you looking at, are you just working on every metric on a quarterly basis or are you starting now at the top of the funnel or are you starting at the bottom of the funnel to make sure that you're getting that metric? So the next thing you start to measure is velocity because every organization is going to have a certain velocity for, for conversion. Like how long is it going to take a raw lead to become a marketing qualified lead? How long is it going to take a marketing qualified lead to become a sales qualified lead? So on and so forth. Right. And then, then you've got this idea of time. So for example, I just, I just went through this in my company where, you know, our sales cycle is just short of six months, right? So marketing's ability to influence 2022 business kind of ends in June. Like, and then I'm start now I'm start and then in June, I'm starting to influence 2023, right? So if for some reason we want to be bullish on 2022 and we want to go big, the time to go big is in the first half of the year. Anything I do in the second half of the year is less likely to impact this year's revenue. So I have to, you know, I could have to front load. Whereas let's say we decide that like, you know, we're going to, we've got enough business in the pipeline this year, but you know, we don't really have any, have, like, let's say we close hundred percent of our opportunities this year, we don't have really anything new to work on in 2023. It'll generate the same sort of pipeline. You might want me to go spend a lot more of my effort on programs that'll start to, to identify net new markets or something like that, that I'm going to pursue in 2023. Again, that's really how we, part of that discussion, but you, you touched on something really valuable, which is 
understanding. So first of all, you have to have a hypothesis because, you know, different types of leads will convert in different types of rates. I mean, there's also like, there's a lot of, you know, philosophies about, you know, sales development reps or business development reps, you know, what's their call to connect rate? And that's going to be, you know, and that, that's deteriorating year over year because people aren't picking up the phone. <laughs> so like, but so you got to find people who are talented and finding other ways to get a hold of people. Uh, but you know that, for example, because my connect rate is lower, even if my conversion rate is high, I'll have less, I'll be able to do less conversions the same amount of time that I did before. It might take me longer. So I'll, I'll need a higher at that count. Like I'll need more leads than I may have needed last year to get the same sort of um, opportunity, the same, the same amount of opportunities within the time frame I'm chasing. It's just, so velocity is, the, is a big component of that where we have to understand, and, and actually that's where, where sales can make a big impact with sales enablement, is if you know, for example, like, so we can impact velocity on the lead side, but we could also impact velocity on the opportunity side. So if we know that there's a squeaky wheel between stages two and three for some reason, maybe it's because the difference between stage two and three is in stage three, I have to have now fully presented to every member of the winning team. Then maybe I need to inject like a BDR-like function whose job it is to partner with the sales rep between stages two and three, because I know that, you know, it's not sufficient just that I got that one person on the phone. Now I need to get the following three people on the phone at the same time. And that person may not, may not have the juice inside of the organization or may not have the drive inside the organization to make that happen. So you could offer that person as a, I'm just giving you an example. You might be offer like, like we created a special role at Relay that because once we have our champion, especially in large organizations, like big retail bank, it's tough to get schedule everybody, you know, that you need to be there at the same time. So we sort of like have a dedicated function that actually is owned by marketing, but but services sales to help get everybody from the winning team around the table for a specific meeting. Because we know that's how it moves, because we want to accelerate that part of the, the pipeline. Love that. And that's a great idea. That's a super smart idea because, and once again, it's simple, but like we use BDR, a business development rep or SDR in just this one capacity of, of Hunter, but really going back to your idea of find enabling the chap champion, it comes back full circle. There's so much of that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So, you know, I want to know more about Relay. So tell me about Relay because we, this is great. And this was a great conversation and hopefully your book comes out soon. Jeez, that's going to be a little while. I got to, you know, you're just writing screenplays and books and traveling all around the world. But, uh, you know, tell me about Relay because, you know, that's what really I wanted to talk to you about, too, is just, you know, being customer centric in social media and what you guys are doing there. Because I yeah. think this is this is a big, big opportunity. So here's here's one. I'll tell you about Relay, but I'll tell you about the problem that got me excited about Relay first. Um, and the problem that got me excited about Relay is that I realized that most of the companies that I was doing, I was a customer of, were fundamentally failing at digital transformation. Not because they're bad people, <laughs> but because I think digital transformation for and even even for web for web organizations required a fundamental understanding that customers don't want to be engaged in the digital world in the same way that they are engaged in the physical world. So when I am looking to do something with I don't know, my bank or whatever. Like I'm not looking the the fact that my it takes me 16 clicks to send a, to pay a bill it is a good example of that. Like in the real world that doesn't take that long. You know, it's like it literally takes me longer to pay a bill digitally than it does physically. 
And, and so to me, that is a failure of digital transformation. And the other problem is the bank doesn't know how to communicate with me. Like the bank has 17 departments, you know, all of them have very important messages for me. So what ends up happening is, you know, I just get spammed by my bank. And, and so I start like tuning them out and then somebody in the bank goes, Oh, Tal's been tuning out our emails. We better in invest in an omni-channel strategy. Let's go find him where he lives. So all of a sudden now I'm getting text messages and WhatsApp updates from, from, you know, from my bank. Did you know that you could refinance your home? Did you know that your, you know, your used car is worth more than ever? Did you know that you qualify for, I don't know, a home mortgage, a home, uh, um, warranty, whatever. And so I opt out probably. And, I, and, and, you know, because there are two fallacies in digital uh, customer engagement. One is that the, we as users as customers are interested in self-service we are not we want you to we want you to service us <laughs> yes and number two is that we like chatbots and we do not we do not like chatbots we hate chatbots <laughs> and and so but the entire fallacy of digital transformation is like let's build self-service with lots of chatbots and that's really if you look at like every freaking web portals or web portal or mobile app it's built with that fallacy that somehow I want a, a, a digital twin of my bank branch or the, your, your, your store or whatever. You know, Amazon caught up to the, caught this really quickly. In fact, it's the reason Google beat Yahoo. Yahoo tried to organize the web as if it was a retail store. Like, oh, here's websites about games and here's websites about this. You know, that's not how we, that's not how we think about things. We search, right? Yep. You don't go to Amazon and then like click on books and whatever. You're like, I want Tom Clancy. Just show me everything Tom Clancy. Like, I, you know, <laughs> I'll figure it out. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. and so when these organizations communicate with you, um, they, they just don't, they're, they're speaking a different language because the way we want to, the way we want to experience the digital world is through feeds. We want feeds. When I go to Amazon, I, you know, I want I want Amazon already knows me so well that when I go to their website, it's already retail porn. Like it's, it's like these are the things, Tal. These are the things you probably want, and you know what? They're probably right. <laughs> you know, except when, except when you share your Amazon account with your seventy-year-old uh, father-in-law, <laughs> then you're like, <laughs> I have I don't I have, have these problems yet. <laughs> I have that I have that Netflix problem, which you know, which is because my kids refuse to use profiles. They fix the problem. My kids refuse to use profiles. They're always logging as me. Anyway. <laughs> that's a different but by the way netflix should solve that problem somehow but uh you know but when you go to google you know honestly like yes there's people who love DuckDuckGo and all that kind of stuff but the majority of the people in the world like actually benefit from having from google's knowledge of them and the kid the, the, the tailored presentation of of search results because they get you to what you're looking to faster and i'm not it, i'm not getting to the whole politics of of you know whether that's good or bad i'm just saying like our brain in, in the digital world. That's the reason. The reason all these conspiracy theories and, ca and stuff is catching on, is because our brains actually react really well to the, to receiving information in this fashion. We care. We like feeds, and we like feeds that play to our personal biases. And so, the opportunity here in the when when dealing with your customers is rather than assuming that you know what they want, it, it's to tailor the engagements, your entire engagement strategy around um, what they want, not what they want from you, not what you want from them. Right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that makes that makes a whole lot of sense. <laughs> I'll give you a, I'll give you a really good example. Um, a health insurer 
that that we do business with that uses Relay, um, you know, one of the the, the biggest uh, um, KPIs or uh, or really OKRs for for health insurers is cost of care. Like that's one of the big business outcomes because they know if they can reduce cost of care, they're increasing their margins with you, right? Um, and so. Uh, Somewhere along the line, uh, somebody figured out that, hey, people who go to the gym go to the hospital less often, right? You're healthier. So so all of a sudden, it became really profitable for your health insurers to provide you with a gym membership. It seems, but it's it's, it's this wonderful feel-good kind of thing. You're like, oh, I got a gym membership. Yeah, cause, just because you're less likely to die or go to the hospital, right? So like, um, so they created all these, all these, uh, uh, Incentives for all their membership uh, uh, people and all their um, uh, agents to to make sure that that the people who had their health insurance would sign up for a gym membership. Um, and a year later, they they did an analysis and they're like, "Hey, you know, cost of care did you know our all our models showed a much bigger you know de- decrease in cost of care, um, but really you know it only went down by about fourteen percent." Um, which is still significant, but not not what they expected to see. So then they did a survey, and, and they found out that yeah, people signed up for gym memberships, but they weren't using them. So that's when they re- realized, hey, it's not just about this transactional thing of getting somebody to sign up for a gym membership. Uh, they started launching these educational experiences, uh, things like help you know, basically a digital health coach, or teaching you about the different devices at the gym, so like to know how to use them, teaching people about the circuit. Like, hey, did you know you you could get a full workout in twenty minutes? Like, stuff like that. Like the, the the play into like that will play into somebody's desire. Not only if if you already have a gym membership, what would drive you to the gym? And investing in these sort of educational experiences that would would yield the results they were looking for. Concurrently, they also built trust with their members because the members felt cared about. It was no longer a transactional thing. Like, hey, I got a free gym membership. It's like now. Oh, I'm getting, I learned how to do, how to use this thing because I got a little, you know, experience. I got a little, uh, uh, lesson about it from my health insurer. Right. Love it. Um, yeah, no, I mean, it makes complete sense. It's, it's just getting them the right content. Right. At the right time that drives, yeah. the drives, the drives action or drives affinity. Like, you know, and all those things really matter. Uh, but you don't do that via, you know, email blasts. Like, first of all, you need to know, like, this person, yes, this person signed up for a gym membership. Um, you know, let me send them this one educational experience just to see if they engage with it, right? Uh, if they don't care about videos about the machine, the next month I might tell them, hey, you know, um, here's a free, do you know you have access to a free virtual trainer? Yeah. You know, something like that, like whatever it is. Like, and so, uh, all, you know, all these things ultimately, you know, you know bubble up to, the reality is that businesses are successful because they're providing valuable services or goods to customers. Um, and, and the second you be your the value, the goods and, and services you provide to your customers become commoditized. The only thing that's going to make the difference between you and your competitors in um, uh, increasing customer lifetime value is building meaningful relationships with those customers. And the biggest problem today is that in the age of digital transformation, the R in CRM has become a silent letter. (laughs) 
Love that. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, so no, that's great. So that's what we're trying to do at Relay is, is create is bring the R back. <laughs> well, it, it, I mean, yeah, hundred percent. Because it's like it, I, I talk about this all the time. It's it, people, I see business all the time telling people what they you know what they think they need to know, and no one cares about that. They just right. care about what they want, right? And they don't, and they only want certain things at certain times. Right. And, yeah. And you should learn. You yeah. should learn from what they like. The 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 bias. You know. You know the story about the confirmation bias. Uh, with the B, the was it the the B two bombers. No. This whole story is the survivorship bias. So like they they, they basically, in World War Two they had like the 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 B two bombers went uh, and lots of them didn't come back. You know because they got shot down and so um, you know the army looked at them and they're like oh well. You know, let's just reinforce. Let's look at where the let's look where the bullet the bullets bullet holes are, and reinforce the parts of the planes where the bullet holes were. Right? <laughs> Why was that wrong? Because <laughs> it's completely random, right? <laughs> no, it's what you need to reinforce is where they weren't shot, because that's where the, the planes that didn't come back got shot. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's, that's such a good point. So. So when you when you get multiple marketing automation emails about the same thing, it's not because maybe if I tell him about them this way, he'll he'll engage with it. Assume that that customer is no longer is not interested in that and pursue a different line of of dialogue. Move off of it. You know, if if they're not interested in gym membership, send them stuff about you know virtual virtual trainers. Um, you know, there, there's all if they're not interested in virtual trainers, talk to them about nutrition. Like there's. Oh, you, if your if your objective is to reduce cost of care, and the primary the primary thing that that, that actually uh, uh, impacts cost of care is member health, and I'm just using that as like so so find the thing that your member actually cares about and and promote that to them. Like don't keep doing the same thing over and over again. If you tell them about gym membership twelve times, they're not going to like you twelve times. Like if they haven't engaged <laughs> with it, it's not it's not going to matter. Find other things, right? Like um, yeah. So, so this whole you know, that's where things are broken. Like there's this the the marketing departments today are are making the fallacy that the reason customers aren't engaging or prospects or customers are not engaging with their content is because they're not seeing it, <laughs> and that's wrong. <laughs> Oh, it's definitely a good point. You know. <laughs> oh man, yeah. I, yeah, that's I mean that's such a good point, you know, and, and it it makes sense, right? It, it's it's not that this you might think this this content's great. It it's you know, and it's funny because I look back at that outside of marketing, what's kind of marketing is you look at Google and some of the things that they created. You know, that were created by engineers and they're like, well, we made this awesome thing that why is no one using it? I guess they just don't know about it. And they're like, well, no one really cares. Right. <laughs> Nobody cares. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. Like to this day, I can only imagine how flabbergasted like WebEx and GoToMeeting were when Zoom took over, because it was like everybody thought it was a done deal. Like there was a, it was a you know it was fully commoditized market. Yep. You know, and Zoom was like, hey, what if we took that but made it easy? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah, no, it's, it's just it's like, so, yeah, make it easier. I think that's part of the problem is make it, and we got these false positives, right? I was just talking about this, you know, 12 years ago when we started doing video marketing, we could put a video on a website, people would watch it. Now right. you have to you have to give them a reason to watch it and you have to really right. give them a reason to keep watching. 
every second of the moment. And you have to earn it. You have to earn every second of that video view. You know, we sit there and I'm like, and we we look over that first three seconds like 20, 30 times. I'm like, and then we test it out. Because to your point, I mean, there's just so much coming in at people. You've got to you've got to come to them, and you got to come to them in spades. To, I mean, to with something they care about. You know, it yeah. has to be marketing has to be a Venn diagram of your needs and the customer's needs. Mm-hmm. If it's just if it's just this, it, it, you're not gonna nobody's gonna give a crap. You know, you have yeah. to provide. You have to really think about like your outcomes in the context of the customer needs. And if they don't fulfill enough of the customer needs, you know, then you're, you should be, you should expect negative results. You know, it's, it's just the way it is. Um, it's what I like about relay. That's what What I like about relay is we're we're solving a, a, um, pretty simple problem. Uh, everybody's trying to build these like customer engagement hubs and, you know, they're using CDPs to get building customer 360 portals that give them everything they, they could possibly know about the customer. But that's not what the customer wants. The customer doesn't want, you know, for you to reach them over, you know, WhatsApp or or Facebook Messenger or whatever. The customer doesn't care if you know everything about them. You know, the customer wants to know, is there something that's relevant to me that you have to offer at this point? If not, shut up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's funny because I, I say I, I my text is I subscribe to everything because I want to see everything and and right. it, it's so often just like boom, same thing over, over, right. over, 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 over again, over, yeah, over and over again. I'm like, dude, yeah, I, you know, every single sale, to give me well, some it, other value. Yeah, don't yeah, don't assume that the thing I want to engage with is the thing that I haven't engaged with. Yeah, like like assume that I haven't engaged with it because. I haven't engaged with it. And so offer me something entirely different, you know, Um, or don't offer me anything at all. I mean, it's, and honestly, like you have to believe, you know, as marketers, we know intrinsically, we know those are diminishing returns. I mean, it's like every time you, you, you send out uh, another drip campaign about the same topic to the same number of customers, you're going to get more opt-outs and those opt-outs are really expensive, you know? Um, I think somebody there's a lot of research now that says basically disengaged customers are more expensive than acquiring new customers. Interesting. That's interesting point. And uh, explain to me because uh, you know I know we're, we're way over your time and I, I'm that's fine. Uh, yeah. that's, that's a big idea that disengaged. Why? How? How does that work out? So you're selling anything. You're you're. Um, you're a bank, okay? And the way you're a bank, uh, the way you realize, so right now, like, I'm sure you've gotten offers from, like, Chase or whoever, uh, 400 bucks to, to to open a new bank account with us, whatever. Because they know yeah. that, that basically the value to them is if, if you, they already know a whole bunch of telemetry about you, like, you're, you're worth this much money, whatever. Um, and so if you move that money to them uh, and they are, you it's not just about your because they don't they don't make any money off your checking account, but if you start open a brokerage account and a credit card and you take out a mortgage and a car loan, right? Then that universe of possibilities dramatically increases your customer lifetime value. But they don't have an at bat on any of those other products if you don't become a banking customer first, right? And so and sometimes by the way, like they they try to bring you in through the credit card and sell you on these other things as well. Now. 
they've invested this $400, or I think Chase just offered me $800 the other day. Uh, uh, they've invested this money to bring you on, and they've successfully onboarded you. Um, and now all these apartments see, oh, there's my bad at Ian. Okay, good. Ian, car loan, mortgage, credit card, you know, whatever, a brokerage yeah. account, savings account. Um, and you're like, oh. oh, my God, unsubscribe. Yeah, no, now, the, the phone calls, were, it's like they're, they're urgent, urgent. Yeah, take me off your list. Yeah, exactly. So, so now you're like, so now they've lost the capacity to contact you at all. Yeah. So now you're completely disengaged. They spent all this money on you, right? And they have no way of they can't market or communicate with you at all. You've just you've opted out. And so now you're sitting there languishing and at best you're languishing, at worst you're actively looking to leave the bank because you've you're totally feeling disenfranchised. So they've the cost of and they spent all this money, forget about the eight hundred dollars or four hundred dollars they offered, they just to get to you via that offer. Mm-hmm. They've probably spent thousands of dollars only for you to just turn yourself off because they spammed you, you know? Exactly. Yeah. So the cost of a disengaged customer is the same thing. Imagine if, if, you know, you were no longer able to receive, like if, if Amazon or whoever it is you like to shop with online, you know, if you opted out of communications with them, they couldn't promote things that they thought were relevant to you, to you, you'd go there a lot less often. You'd only go there when you needed something. Like, they couldn't let you know that there was a sale on your favorite, you know, plaid shirt. <laughs> I don't know. I go to Amazon way too much. Especially yeah. in the middle of the night. Uh, know. But, <laughs> you, know, I, you know, this makes a big, big, you know, uh, this comes back to the point that we were talking about before, I think, whereas if you're marketing, now you've spent all this time to get in with someone, all this money yeah. to get in with a person, and you've got your champion inside, and you haven't thought about the rest of the team, and you're just beating the champion with the same content. Yeah, you're you're now you're disengaging your champion because yep. it's like, yeah, I get it. I've told that thing same thing to them a thousand times. Right. And yeah, it, that, that it comes full circle. The cost of disengagement is higher than the cost of acquisition, for sure. Yes, you know, and that's why that's why I keep saying like my mantra, and that's the reason I like this company, I'm telling you, like, I, I didn't have to go there. I had other choices. I chose this company because I'm, I, as a marketer, I've become very, very aware of the that, that problem, which is, you know, people, and people just don't have the capacity to galvanize their dis disenfranchised customers. Once they become disengaged, it's almost impossible to re-engage them. Yeah. That's a very, very good point. I mean, it's something we don't think about, you know, because especially, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. It's like, hey, let's just keep marketing, keep marketing. Yeah. And we've gotten to the point where we've gotten past where we can do that. Yeah. No, I for think. sure. I, I've seen it. I've, I've left companies before because I, I couldn't get to that fundamental agreement with the CRO, which is like, we cannot continue to harass our prospects. No. <laughs> They'll opt out and then we won't have be able to market them to them anymore. You know, no, no. Like, oh, go send out another email campaign. No, I will not do that. Yeah, <laughs> it's not going to happen. Yeah, so, I, yeah. Yeah, I think about that. Like, I think about those companies I've had the bad experience with, and just on, on you know, on pure stubbornness, I won't right. go back to them. Right? Yeah. <laughs> they can offer me, a, you know, they're like, oh, we're going to transform your business, and it's going to be another million dollars. I'm like, eh. <laughs> in these three steps. Uh, oh man, that's it's fantastic stuff. So, 
Tal, you know, obviously RelayNetwork.com, you guys work with banks, you work with financial institutions. This is a great way for them to be engaging. Healthcare pairs. Healthcare, yeah. um, healthcare. You know, we talked a lot about, you know, in, in the previous season, we talked to uh, 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 Alex over at Supersites about, you know, that feeling of security. And I think that, you you know, you guys do a good job of that. And we didn't even really get into that of making your, your customers feel safe oh, yeah. on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we're That's a big one. So much, uh, just that one statement, like, you know, when you get a message from somebody you trust, right, you're a lot more likely to open it. And, and, and that, again, that's a whole, but that also goes back to, to, you know, engagement. Like if you're disengaged, you're less likely an engaged customer is a more trusting customer. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, it, that, there you go. And it, they're more trusting they're more likely to do stuff. Not only are they more likely to take, you know, buy from you, but they're more likely to take action on your content. That's the right. They take and advocate for you. Yeah, and advocate for you too, right? You're dead on. And then once they become a customer and they're an engaged customer, then then they're you know um, it's just the continuity and consistency of just saying telling everyone about you because they they bought into it, um, and you trigger all those things. But we got to uh, yeah, and we got to be so much more sensitive to it now than ever before. Um, and so, well, this has been awesome. Super yeah, nerdy. Yeah, for sure. But it is nerdy, but it was great hanging out with you. <laughs> it's always great. It's good talking. Next time, next time we're going to drink. Uh, <laughs> okay, done. And have uh, and have chicken fingers. All right. And chicken fingers. Yeah, yeah. You're going to come down to Orlando, or I'll just I'll send them to you. I'll get them FedEx to you. <laughs> I'll come down. I'll come down. Nice, nice. Yeah. Do some time in the lake. Um, all right, and you know we have some theme parks here that the kids might enjoy. Oh yeah. Yes. <laughs> I have stories for you about that, but yeah. <laughs> awesome. Awesome talent. So, uh, obviously relay network, best place to connect with you LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn or Twitter, uh, uh, virtual Tal on Twitter, uh, LinkedIn. I'm easy to find Tal Klein and, uh, yeah, follow relay network. We're, we're trying to put up some good stuff about, um, you know, everything we just talked about, uh, lots of really good stuff coming out and, um, uh, I'd love to hear from your your experiences and meaningful engagement with your customers. I think it's important, important. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you're an agency too, you know, follow this. I think this is an important thing from content agencies to get. Um, and speaking of just content, tells also the author of The Punch Escrow, which has been <laughs> optioned to be a movie one day. Yeah. Uh, so make sure to go read that. It's a fantastic <laughs> book. And uh, yeah, I mean, geez, where do you find the time for it? I don't. That's why, that's, why, that's why I can't open my eyes. I'm just tired all the time. <laughs> awesome. Well, Tal, thanks so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. I, it's so great to hang out with you, man. And thank you all for taking Tal and I on your journey. This has been Iron Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know it will make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads. Better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, 
as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. 